0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. These words, wrote Dante Alighieri, are inscribed above the gates of hell. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. But I've been reflecting on the pace of hope in our lives and I'm less and less impressed with it. American Tibetan nun Pema Chidron says, you could say, give up all hope, or give up, or just give. The shorter, the better. One of our deepest habitual patterns is to feel that now is not good enough. We think back to the past, which was maybe better than now, maybe worse. We think ahead to the future. We may fear it, or we may hold out hope that it might be better. Even if now is going really well, there's this deep tendency to think about how it was, how it's going to be, but what about the present? In one of the first Buddhist teachings I ever heard, writes Pema Chodron, the teacher said, I don't know why you came here, but I want to tell you right now that you're never going to get it all together. There isn't going to be some precious future time when all the loose ends will be tied up. Even though it was shocking to me, it rang true. One of the things that keeps us unhappy is this continual search for pleasure for a little more comfortable situation, for security, waiting for things to change. Pema continues, giving up hope is the most important ingredient for developing sanity and healing. At the root of healing, at the root of feeling like a full adult person is the premise that you're not going to try to make anything go away. And if we're going to fully mature, we will no longer be imprisoned in the childhood feeling that we always need to shield or protect ourselves because things are too harsh. Pema defines being a grown-up as being completely at home in your world, no matter how difficult the situation. If we're going to be grown-ups, she says, it's because we will allow something that's already in us to be nurtured, and to grow. And what is that something? I say it's faith. To be faithful is to cultivate courage, to face reality full on instead of hoping it goes away. To be faithful is to cultivate strength and persistence, to stare down despair and hang in for the long haul. To be faithful is to cultivate love that nourishes us and sustains us, the beloved community. When we stop resorting to hope, which often means we hope someone or something else will take care of whatever it is, when we choose faith we land squarely in the present, understanding that we cannot change what we cannot face. And when we face what is, we can roll up our sleeves, open minds, open hearts, open hands, and get our boots on the ground. I'm trying this out. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. It is so much stronger to say, I have faith, than to say, I hope. And I'm not willing to cede the word faith to people who are behaving badly. With this faith, as the full catastrophe unspools, we can face into the wind, stand in the storm, and stand fast. I read an amazing story this week that brought all of this home to me. It was written by graphic designer and writer Jeffrey Rudell. He called his story under the influence, and he wasn't talking about alcohol. Jeremy Rudell writes, at the age of 19, I fell prey to a powerful and deeply corrupting influence. It dogged me for six years, costing me many a friend and in the process bringing my family to ruin. It crippled me to such an extent that I have spent the intervening years recovering from it. The influence of which I speak, he says, is hope. There was nothing in my childhood to suggest I might find myself on such a wayward path. My parents loved me. They taught me right from wrong. They taught me to be courageous in the face of bullies. They taught me patience and forgiveness. They taught me that love would see me through any misfortune. My trouble, he says, began on Memorial Day, 1982. That was the day I told my family I was gay. The act itself, Mom, Dad, I'm gay, was relatively unexceptionable. Driving back to college to take my final exams, I remember thinking how I had expected my parents to sort of freak out and how, much to my surprise, they had not freaked out. They'd been calm and cool. Meanwhile, subsequent events were busy unfolding back home. My mother was going through the house where I grew up, gathering things I had made for her. A jewelry box when I was in 4-H. A painting when I was 16. A box containing all the letters I'd written from camp and from college. She was removing photographs from the walls and placing them in piles. She was directing my father to take my bed and lamp, my desk and chair, the Smith-Corona, my Smith Corona even, and put them all in the front yard next to the rock garden, not too close to the maple tree. My clothes, my books, my report cards, my Farrah Fawcett posters, my shoes, three years' worth of interview magazines, the good ones with the Andy Warhol covers, everything. And then with my brother and my sister and my grandparents watching, my mother removed a cigarette from a tiny crocheted case where she always kept them lit a cigarette and put the match to the pile of items there in the front yard, the pile that contained the sole and complete record of my existence in my family. It burned for seven and a half hours, thanks in part to the addition of some lighter fluid to help get the larger pieces of furniture going. All of it, all of what was me and mine prior to that memorable Memorial Day, up in flames. According to my sister, whose years later related these details to me, it was a mighty, impressive blaze. In their eagerness to feed the fire and due to an unexpected wind off the fields around the house, the sugar maple that was older than my great-grandfather caught a spark in its branches and was sacrificed. They cut off all communication with me. They emptied and closed our joint bank account. There went college. They stopped answering my letters, stopped taking my calls. They stopped everything with me. They just stopped. Everyone counseled me to have a little patience and a little hope. And this is how it starts, slowly, just a little hope, just enough to get you through. But hope is cumulative. A little bit here and a little bit there builds up in the system until it becomes something toxic. Denial. Living for me sort of ground to a halt despite the fact that my life just went on and with hope whispering in my ear, don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't grow. Don't develop. Jeremy spent the next six years suspended in this purgatory with no word from his family. He tried to be a good son to make them proud to somehow earn back their love. It took one last ditch for him to embrace the present, choose to cultivate faith in his inherent goodness, and experience the goodness of all the people who step forward to help and hold and heal him. He writes, I decided to force the issue. I flew home and showed up unannounced at my mother's office. I asked the receptionist to page my mother and to tell her that she had a surprise visitor. And then I stood in the lobby and watched my mom walk down this long hallway toward me. Halfway down the hall, she looked up, saw me, recognized who I was. And then turned around and walked away. Two and a half weeks later, a funeral le- wreath was delivered a funeral wreath with a note that read, In memory of our son. Clearly, said Jeremy, it was time to abandon hope. He came to see that hope and fear are one feeling with two sides, and they are the root of so much pain, the pain of clinging to what might have been, could have been, should have been, rather than the sweet release of landing squarely in what is and choosing to be fully alive right now as bitter and as sweet as that can be. To abandon hope is to stop flipping through the channels, changing the music, fooling with the thermostat, and accepting that instead of looking for alternatives to reality, we can face reality, attaching ourselves to neither failure nor success, and begin again from this very moment. Paying attention to the difference between having a goal and being taken over by our hopes and fears, letting go of our attachment to results, cultivating faith there is more room for real kindness, compassion, and love. Jeremy Udell concludes, for six years, the sheer weight of this experience threatened to crush me, or at least that's how it felt. Since it was my constant companion, I spent most of my time turning it over in my mind, fingering it like some sort of psychological worry stone. It's been eroded now by so much handling. All that remains is a small, hard pebble. Worn away is most of the anger and much of the hurt. Yet one question remains. How is it that my parents taught me love in excess of what they themselves possessed? I have come to believe, he says, that it is not possible to understand what they did. To understand it would mean there was some justification for it, and I know now there is not. And yet, their influence on me is enduring. I have been courageous in the face of bullies. I now know that there is a thing as too much patience, but no such thing as too much forgiveness. And love, he asks, love has seen me through every misfortune. Beloved spiritual companions, I invite you to consider abandoning hope. Give up hope. Give up or just give. Let's grow our faith, Cultivation, cultivating courage to face reality full on instead of hoping that it goes away. Cultivating strength and persistence to stare down despair and hang in there for the long haul cultivating love that nourishes us and sustains the beloved community. When we stop resorting to hope, when we choose faith, this faith, we arrive in the present with open minds and open hearts. Let's make our home in the world, this world, just as it is, Only that which is faced can be changed. And may love see us through every misfortune. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at